Coming up on today's show, you'll be hearing my conversation with the co-writers of the short film We Got a Monkey's Paw, Aaron Pignano and Zach Ogle. And We Got a Monkey's Paw is a horror comedy about two odd couple roommates who find a cursed monkey's paw and shenanigans happen from there. Really fun film. I had the pleasure of watching it recently and I very much enjoyed it. And this was one of the most fun interviews that I've done in a long time. So thank you once again to Aaron and Zach for taking the time to come on the show. Really fun, really informative conversation, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. But first, you'll be hearing my thoughts on the 2020 Oscars, my horrible predictions that went awfully wrong very early on in the broadcast, as well as my review of the four-time Academy Award-winning film Parasite. I finally got to sit down and watch the film Really enjoyed it, and you're going to get my immediate reactions to the film. So all of that coming up on this week's episode of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, which starts right now. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. And for this week's live show, I'm going to be giving my thoughts on the 2020 Oscars. And I'll be giving my review of Parasite. Uh, let's see. Donna Diamond and Stuart Roberts are watching. Uh, Stuart says, I can hear you, but I can't see you. You should be able to see me now. Um, I normally start with the graphic that's overlaying the... Um, the video, so that way I don't have to edit it in uh, when I do post production. But uh, but yeah, it's been uh, a wacky couple of days. Um, I actually got to go to Tallahassee and Daytona this past weekend with my good friends from the Unicorn Wranglers. They had two really good shows Friday night. They performed in Tallahassee, and then Saturday we drove to Daytona, where they had uh, a really good show down in Daytona Beach, hung out there for a little bit, and then came back uh, Sunday afternoon. And as we were driving home, my good friend Steve Wise messaged me and said, hey, if you don't have any plans for the Oscars, you're more than welcome to come over. So I did. I didn't even come home beforehand. I left Adam's house and then drove straight over to Steve's to watch the Oscars with Steve and Julio Diaz, both former podcast guests. And let's see, uh, Stuart says he can see me now. Cool. Um, yeah, it, it's I'm still playing around with the, the way I'm doing these live shows a bit, so you might see little tweaks every now and then just to try out new things until I finally get a formula for what I'm going to do. Um, so, yeah, the Oscars... I, I, funny enough about the Oscars, and I mentioned this last week when I did my predictions, which I did not do very good on, but we'll get into that. This was the first time in quite a while that I actually sat down and watched the Oscars from start to finish. It would normally be something that I'd have on in the background, and I would stop for the major awards, but not really sit down and watch them. Unless, you know, there was a movie that I had vested interest in that you know, I wanted to win, but this was, you know, I got to sit down, watch the Oscars from start to finish. The, the Oscars themselves, it was okay, but if I can be bluntly honest, I felt like 
it was a three plus hour show of Hollywood saying we're not racist, we're not sexist because of all the diversity and stuff they were doing, but they didn't have any female director nominations. And I don't know if this was their way of making up for that, but I felt like it was really, really hammered home that they were trying to, you know, include diversity, which I'm all for including that. But I felt like it felt very forced, in my opinion. It just felt like a three-hour infomercial of Hollywood saying, look, we like everybody. But again, I, and I still haven't seen Little Women, but I know everyone who has seen it, say Greta Gerwig was robbed. And even not seeing it, I, I, will, I will agree with that. So I'll go through the major awards here. Um, I'm, I'm pulling it up on CNET. Uh, Little Women did win Best Costume Design, which I, I was glad to see. You know that period pieces tend to do well with that award, so I, I was not surprised to to see that win. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood won Best Production Design. Something that really made me happy is that Taita Watiti won Best Adapted Screenplay for Jojo Rabbit. And I was hoping Jojo Rabbit would win something. I didn't think it was going to win Best Picture, but I'm glad that it won Best Adapted Screenplay. And you could tell that Waititi was really grateful about the award. And I, I love him as a filmmaker from what I've seen of his work. It's rumored that he's going to get a Star Wars movie, which I absolutely think is a great thing because he directed the, the season finale of The Mandalorian, which is in the top two best episodes of that entire show, in my opinion. So that was really cool to see. Um, Parasite won, well, we'll get into Parasite in a second. Um, Toy Story 4 won Best Animated Feature Film. That had been the only um, animated film that I had seen out of all those selections. And I thought Toy Story 4 was still a pretty good movie. It, it's not as good as the first three if I'm being honest, but I was glad that it won. But the Oscars did kick off with Best Supporting Actor, and Brad Pitt won for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I wanted Tom Hanks to win it, but I had a feeling Brad Pitt was going to take it, and I, I have no issue with it. You know, I I loved his performance in that movie. I thought he honestly did better than Leonardo DiCaprio. I was more drawn to... Brad Pitt's character and his story throughout the entire movie and to be honest the look he had with the Hawaiian shirt and the long hair that's the look I want to adopt in 10 years so that's kind of my little biased opinion about that um, other awards that I had talked about uh, Laura Dern won best supporting actress no surprise there she was phenomenal in marriage story uh, best sound editing was Ford v. Ferrari. No surprise there. Best sound mixing, 1917. Best cinematography, of course, the GOAT, Roger Deakins, won it for 1917. That, to me, was an absolute no-brainer. Something that the, the undertaking that that movie took on, and, and there are cuts in the movie. If you pay attention, you can tell where they would make cuts, but... It was virtually seamless, and I, I am absolutely thrilled that Roger Deakins won. Uh, Ford v. Ferrari won Best Film Editing. Visual Effects, 1917. I was kind of hoping that Avengers Endgame would win it because it's only the highest grossing movie of all time. 
And I believe it was the only thing that it was nominated for. So, unfortunately, it didn't happen, but I'm okay with 1917 winning. Let's see. Uh music original score was joker music i'm gonna love me again from rocket man seeing elton john win the award was really cool best actress was renee zellweger in judy i didn't get to see judy but that was the popular pick for who was going to win that award joaquin phoenix won for best actor for his role in joker which again that would have been a monumental upset had that not happened and I'm curious, and I should have looked this up before I started the podcast, but I'm curious if any actor or two actors have won an Oscar for playing the same character. I, I'm really curious about that. Uh, let's see. I, I guess we'll get into the, the major awards. So everyone kind of figured that Parasite was going to win uh, best International Feature Film, which I believe is what the award is called as I'm trying to find it here in this list. Yeah, International Feature Film. Everyone figured Parasite was going to run away with that one. But that wasn't the only thing that Parasite won. It went on to win four awards. It won Best International Feature Film, Best Director. It won, let's see, it won, I'm trying not to say, uh, oh, Best Original Screenplay, they won that one as well, and the big one, and when the director, uh, Bong Joon-ho, won Best Director, Steve, Julio, and myself were sitting around at Steve's house, and we, we said, it, it's going to happen, Parasite is going to win Best Picture, and of course it did, and I think it, the whole cast and crew that were there were just blown away by the success that it had. I mean, it was the first international film to win Best Picture, which is insane. And I was really happy that it won, and, I, and I'm going to get to my Parasite review in just a second. Unfortunately, I had not seen this movie before the Oscars happened, and I really wish that I had, because it may have been my pick for a lot more things than when I did the the uh, prediction show last week. So when Parasite won Best Picture, I told myself, I've got to watch this movie. Because originally I was going to do a live reaction show to kind of give my immediate thought on the Oscars. But with going over to Steve's house, that didn't happen. So I was kind of racking my brain a little bit and thinking, you know, I I should review Parasite. I mean, it's a four-time Oscar-winning film. It's obviously got to be really good, and I've heard nothing but great things about it. So I finally got to sit down this evening because work's been kind of swamped. We've got a um, college baseball tournament that we're doing this weekend, so... Um, and then Monday, I had a, another podcast that I had to do, or actually two podcasts that I did yesterday. So I finally got to sit down today and watch it uninterrupted, and I was blown away by the movie. It was absolutely incredible. And going into it, I didn't really know what the storyline was. I just knew that it was critically acclaimed I knew it had a 99% rating on Rotten Tomatoes which is pretty much unheard of 
and I'm not going to give away any spoilers for the movie because for those who haven't seen it, I don't want to give away the ending because the ending, I to put it bluntly, I said, holy shit at the end because it was just an ending I did not expect at all, but it made absolute perfect sense. So to read a little bit about what Parasite is about, it's a 2019 South Korean dark comedy thriller uh, directed by Bong Joon-ho, who also uh, co-wrote the screenplay with Han Jin-won. It follows the members of a poor family who scheme to become employed by a wealthy family by infiltrating their household and posing as unrelated, highly qualified individuals. So it starts with the son of the movie. He's entrusted with being an English tutor for this wealthy family's daughter. So they develop this plan because this family is very poor. They live essentially in the basement of of a building. Uh, Living conditions are horrible. They make men's meat by delivering pizzas. And they scheme to infiltrate this family. So it starts with the son. He becomes the English teacher. Then the dad comes in, or no, the, the sister comes in as the um, as kind of the art teacher slash art director for the son of the family. Then they get the um, their their driver fired, and the dad takes over. So then the uh, they get the housekeeper let go, and then the mom comes in, and they're all getting paid salary from this really wealthy family. Hence the name Parasite. And the the cool visual about this movie is that when you see this family when they're not in their quote-unquote jobs, they're filthy, sweaty, disgusting. It, it's, they're, they're parasites. They're, they live up to their namesake. So that was something I noticed right off the bat is that any scene that involved them was just gritty, dirty, it was just, it was borderline disgusting, in my opinion. So they go through, they earn the trust of this family, and it's more so the matriarch of the family because she's a sweetheart of a person. Like, you fall in love with her the first time you meet her on camera. But she's so gullible. And the whole family just comes in, and then, you know, as, as they say, it hits the fan. And I'm still kind of processing it a little bit because, you know, I've got my immediate... It's different when you have your immediate thoughts on something and then you have a little bit of time to sit and digest it. But I wanted to give my raw emotional thoughts of it. Because with Star Wars, when I did the podcast for that, I had had watched it a couple of times, really got to break it down as far as a film goes. But the first time I watched it, I had the complete fanboy type experience. But that's a whole nother story. So I think this movie absolutely deserved all the awards that it got. And I, I never posted my full you know, top movies of 2019. I just did the, the top 10 podcast a few weeks ago. But this would absolutely be in my top five now. I still wouldn't put it number one. Oh, Jana Randolph has joined. Welcome. Thank you for watching. 
I still wouldn't put it number one over Knives Out, but I, I think I would definitely put it within the top three. You know, whenever I watch a movie, I look for certain things that, to hit those emotional beats. And, and number one is the story. I can't remember seeing a story like this in film recently. I'm, I'm sure there's been some interpretation of it, but to me, the concept was very unique. And the fact that it was a foreign film, you know, I... I haven't watched too many foreign films as far as being in a completely different language and then while watching subtitles. Uh, Thomas Rochester is joined. Welcome. He actually last night recorded a pretty awesome Power Ranger podcast with me that's going to be released next week. So what was I getting at? Oh, the, the story. So it was very unique to me in the sense that this family kind of joins together to infiltrate this upper you know upper class family and essentially take their money but in a way like their tactics of getting their jobs are shady but they're doing the work to get the money that they need to support themselves so it's like i can't entirely fault them in a way you know because they're just doing what they have to do. And it seemed like they had kind of an unspoken ethical code because, they, and I guess this gives a mild spoiler, but the original housekeeper comes back to the home while the, the, um, the park family is, um, is out of town and shenanigans happen from there. And there are other twists that happen that you don't expect. It seemed, but you can tell that they don't, like they don't mind hurting, but they don't want to go beyond that in order to protect their secret. So I can't entirely fault them. I mean, yeah, they're kind of crappy people, but they're doing what they have to do in order to survive. And I think that's a relatable, a, a relatable trait, you know, because we're all, we're all trying to survive. And I, I, I don't know that I would go that far partially because I don't think I'm that clever, but it makes for a great film. Uh, but I thought the the acting, second of all, was just phenomenal on all on all points. I thought, you know, the young actors did a great job. The I, I'm struggling with names when it comes to the character names for the film, but I thought, especially for what little they did, the... Uh, young actors who played the kids from the Park family did did a pretty good job. I loved the dad from I'll call them the Parasite family. I'll I'll actually uh, I'll look this up real quick so that way I'm not. Uh, the Kim family is the I guess the antagonists, if you will. Uh, the the dad was really really good, and you you get to see him be. A, um, a basically a driver. He drives the Park family around, and he plays the part really well. But as the film progresses, little cracks start to show, and it just gets out of hand at the end of the movie. I I really want to say what happens, but I don't want to spoil it. But this was just overall a, a, 
a fantastic freaking movie. And I hate that I I hate that I missed it. I really do. I'm actually I, I'm gonna do this live because after all this is a live show. Let me look at my original top ten list that I did for the podcast. Okay, so I had uh, Knives Out number one, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood second, Jojo Rabbit third, Avengers Endgame fourth, and Uncut Gems would be number five. So where I would put uh, Parasite, I still like Knives Out number one. Do I put it at two? It's got to be two or three. Like I said, it's it's definitely in the top five. It's top movie from 2019. You got to watch it. You can rent it from the Apple store if you have Apple products. I rented it for $3.99. It's a little over two hours long. And I, I thought the subtitle aspect would bother me, but it really doesn't because my hearing's not that great. So I watch pretty much all films with subtitles anyway. I, I will say it was, uh, the thing I liked about it being in a foreign language is that you have to pay attention. Because if you look away for five, ten seconds, you're going to miss something because you have to read what's going on if you if you don't understand the Korean language. But I liked that about the movie. But everything from it, from the acting, the story... The cinematography was beautiful. The location, the house they used for the Park family home was amazing. It was a dream home, to be honest. It was one of those houses with a glass wall that you can look out into your yard. It was great. And I know I'm kind of rambling a little bit by saying this, but I I really, really enjoyed Parasite. And it was well-deserving of all the awards that it got. And I, I know there was a little bit of backlash. Luckily, I didn't see too much, but which made me happy that there wasn't the extent that I thought there would be. But I thought the fact that a foreign film won Best Picture, and I don't think it was because it was a foreign film. I think because it deserved the award. It told a phenomenal story with a with unique twists along the way. The story itself, I would say, is unique. As I mentioned earlier, it was something that I had never really seen before to the extent that, that it had been. You know, it was, it was an experience, and I actually had uh, a friend of mine text me as I was finishing the movie asking if it was worth it, and I said, absolutely. So... It doesn't take a whole lot to to sit through it. Like I said, it's only a little over two hours long. Now you find movies that are two and a half, close to three hours long. So it and it doesn't feel that long either. The whole movie just flew by. And but it, if it had been twenty minutes longer, I would have been okay with it. But I think it ran the perfect runtime. It told just enough, and it ended on the right note, where it didn't feel like you were getting robbed of anything and it left it open-ended where you can, you can kind of ponder a little bit of what's happened with this family. So 
I, I can't say enough good things about it. I think on a scale of one to 10, it's definitely a solid nine for me. And I know this is kind of a, a quick episode uh, as far as the live show goes, but you know, it's just kind of my immediate thoughts on the film. It, it really moved me in a way, you know, it's whenever I watch movies like this, they, they inspire me, re-inspire me to, to make film. Like it's when I see movies like this, like once upon a time in Hollywood, like other, like Jojo rabbit, like other great movies that came out this past year, it reaffirms my faith that it's the career that I want to work in. And I've got quite a long ways to go, but I'm on my way. Man, this was such a good movie. I, I know I'm, I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but it's like I'm still processing everything that I saw. Because the whole movie was a trip. And I can't wait to talk about it at work tomorrow. Because I know um, one of my coworkers uh, watched it over the weekend, so I'm excited to talk with him about it. But I think rather than ramble for you know another five to ten minutes or so... I'm probably going to go ahead and wrap things up here. But I did want to thank you know you, those who did watch live. Um, for those who are listening on the download, you can stick around for my really fun interview. This is one of my favorite interviews that I've done in quite a long time on this podcast. So I had the opportunity to watch this short film called We Got a Monkey's Paw. And it's about these two roommates who find a monkey's paw and wish for various things and shenanigans ensue It's really well made. I got to interview the co-writers, uh, Aaron Pagnano and Zach Ogle. Aaron also directed the film. And the cool thing is it won multiple awards at the Pensacola Indie Fringe and Comedy Festival last month, including best actress, best editing and best film of the entire festival. And it got selected for the Pensacon Short Film Festival that's coming up in just a couple of weeks. Really fun movie. Really love chatting with these two guys. They gave the combination of it was just a fun conversation, but also really informative. So those aspiring filmmakers will will really love the, the conversation that I had with Aaron and Zach. So uh, for those who are watching live, thank you guys for watching. If you want to follow the show, on social media. I'm on Facebook, obviously, because you're watching on Facebook Live, Twitter, and Instagram at D Diamond Podcast. If you want to check out past episodes of the show, you can go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcast, and YouTube. For YouTube, I throw up the video for what you're watching now if you're watching on Facebook Live. And I'll also take the interview segment and post that as a separate video. It's still crazy that I'm just now really getting into the video content. I wish I had been doing this years ago. And in a way, it was kind of intimidating, which you wouldn't think would be the case because video is the career that I work in. But I've loved doing it. I will say, for those, again, who are watching live, there won't be a live show next week because I recorded a Power Rangers roundtable. And attached to that will be an interview with Catherine Sutherland, who was the second uh, Pink Power Ranger on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. So no live show next week. We'll see about the week after. I'll keep you guys posted. But as I said, for those listening live, thank you guys for watching. 
For those on the download, stick around for my conversation with Aaron Pignano and Zach Ogle. Happy to be joined with my two special guests this week, the co-writers of the film We Got a Monkey's Paw. First, we have one of the writers and also the director, Mr. Aaron Pagnano. How are you, sir? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And also, we have co-writer, producer, editor, as well as one of the stars of the film, Mr. Zach Ogle. How are you, sir? Hi, I'm great. Thanks so much for having both of us. No, absolutely. And I was mentioning this to you guys before we started recording. I did get the chance to see your film and absolutely loved it. It, it kind of and we'll get more into details as, you know, as the show progresses, but I felt like cuz Zombieland to me is still a very underrated movie because it combines the horror elements with comedy. So mm-hmm. I instantly felt like I was watching a Zombieland type film and I absolutely loved it. That's so awesome. Thank you. That's, yeah, that's yeah, thank you. That's huge praise. I appreciate that. Zombieland's awesome. No, it, it's yeah. a fantastic movie. I, I remember I didn't see it in its initial theater run, but heard nothing but great things about it. And then when it came out on DVD, I watched it, and I think I laughed from beginning to end. Yeah, we I, we both love that that genre, that like uh, the Zombieland, uh, Cabin in the Woods, um, you know, just uh, or Shaun of the Dead, uh, especially. I think that was a huge influence for us. I can definitely see that. No, Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, it, it, that was. I can't remember if that was before or after Zombieland, but it was that and Zombieland. I remember specifically that introduced me to that horror comedy genre that, you know, that that right mix, because I'm not a big mm-hmm. horror fan, mm. but I love when you add the comedic elements to it. And it's, it's just a, a perfect marriage to me if you if you make it work. Yeah, absolutely. I, I find that often even people who don't like horror are so innately familiar with the language of horror or with uh, at least the tropes and yeah. the, the, the package of horror that for making a horror comedy, you can hit obviously horror fans really well with their, their love of the genre. Even people who don't like horror very much are just familiar enough with the language that they still get most of the jokes and it still really works on an aesthetic level. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. No, I totally agree with that. So kind of backtracking a little bit, we'll we'll start with you, Aaron. What was it that initially made you want to get into the crazy world of filmmaking? Oh, goodness. Um, that <laughs> is an excellent question. Um, I often attribute my, uh, my interest in filmmaking to my father, who was a, a huge cinephile. Um, and so when I was growing up, he, he was just a, a big fan of movies. And so I had a very early awareness of the fact that whenever I was watching movies or TV or something, you know, he'd be, he'd be, uh, behind me, uh, talking through the whole thing, uh, explaining the concept of actors and shots and editing. And I was like, you know, four years old and he's explaining to me what you're actually seeing is a bunch of actors in front of a camera. And this took probably months to shoot, but it all cuts together in a few seconds. Um, and so I, I always thought that was interesting from an early age he let me watch a lot of uh, uh, gangster films super young because as a, uh, uh, a second-generation Italian-American, he was a huge Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Martin Scorsese fan. And so uh, he was just like really all about that kind of stuff. And so 
you know, I think I turned like 12 years old and he's like, I think you're ready to watch Goodfellas. Uh, <laughs> so that's fantastic. That's fantastic. What about you, Zach? Uh, yeah. Wow. What a great question. Um, I think, you know, ever since I was a kid, I always knew I wanted to write. Um, uh, I also had, uh, you know, daddy issues. So, uh, my, <laughs> uh, my dad was, uh, my, my dad got me into reading very, very early. Um, and so I, I would just read everything I get my hands on. Um, and I just wanted to, you know, tell stories. Um, and then I think that what really got me into film was honestly probably musicals. I would watch like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and Choo Choo Bang Bang on repeat as a kid. I'm sure it was annoying as hell to grow up with, but um, I, I, I love that stuff. And I got into theater and then eventually in high school, um, I took a communications class uh, and I just really loved doing like in-camera jokes and, and just learning what I could do with the camera. Um, and it, I think that just sort of, it, it, it developed from there. At the end of the day, it's, it's just, it's storytelling is what I really want to do. No, and, and that's one of the best things about film is is the storytelling. Like that's what film, and people love like great visual effects and things like that. But film at its core is is storytelling, and you got to have a good story to drive a film. But uh, I, I did want to ask you this, Zach. You mentioned doing theater. Yeah. Is there? I, I try. I like to ask this with people who have done both theater and film. Does did doing theater help better prep you? for film as far as acting goes um i i think it the it definitely made me appreciate rehearsal a lot of times on film sets you don't get that at all honestly um you're a lot of half the time you know everybody had their scripts separately and you show up the day of and you kind of block it and you keep getting it until you get it right and i i really appreciate being able to to rehearse and so i think um with a lot of times when I'm going into something, I'll try and do that, at least get everybody in the room at least once um, just before cameras are, are in there. Cause it, I think it, it really, it really changes the game on set. I don't know how you feel about that, that Aaron. Yeah. I, I'm a huge believer in rehearsals. Uh, I know that I don't remember how much rehearsing we got to do on monkey's paw simply because we shot it so quickly. <laughs> it was so um, running gun. But on all of my other projects, I'm I'm usually a huge stickler for the the blocking rehearsal and making sure that everybody, be it, I mean, especially the actors, obviously, but you know, every member of the crew should have a chance to see what is going on before cameras are rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I usually stick pretty adamantly to that uh, when I can, though I often see it, rehearsals go straight out the window on a lot of productions mm-hmm. as soon as you're a little bit behind schedule. Yeah, but I, I think you know, I, I agree with you in the sense that rehearsal is key. And you bring up a good point about cr- a crew should see what happens before cameras are rolling. And I tell people, if you get the chance to work on a set, even if it's as a PA, learn as much as you can in the amount of time that you're there. Because you never know what you're going to end up doing. We, we were also both pretty fortunate. Um, we, went, we both went uh, to Florida State um, university film school uh which is where we met uh and that program really um has you do everything um the the bfa program that we did um you know you're going to be doing everything at some point you might be behind camera you might be uh producing uh but you, you go through the whole gambit of production um and you get a good sense of the whole thing from start to finish which is great you actually answered my next question 
Oh, I have a better story, which is that we were at a dark and dusty crossroads in the heart of the South. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, this is before. A, a handsomely dressed stranger. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my car had broken down and I was looking for a miracle. And there yeah. was Zach. In a all-white suit. <laughs> playing a guitar. Yeah, yeah of course. There's a guitar involved. Um, I mean, it's not too far from the truth. It was Tallahassee, uh, which yeah. is... You know, kind of the heart of the South, and I had a lot of car trouble, so. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's funny because we, um, you know, we were, uh, you know, in, in school together and had a, you know, we would be on sets and things, but I don't think we bonded as much as we did until we both moved out here to Los Angeles. Yeah, I think we were we were peers at best when we were in uh, film school, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until we both moved out to L.A., uh, at some point a few years back, we just, I don't remember if we, if we just ended up at a lot of parties together or yeah. crossing paths a lot, but I do remember that, that it did escalate to an extent because I have like a, a strong memory of caring that you were still at, like when I moved out to LA, I remember we had some modicum of contact, but right at some point that, that blossomed into uh, a full fledged partnership. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and we, uh, we, uh, we, you know, we play D and D together. Uh, I have, uh, ran, uh, adventures that he's been in and vice versa. And yeah, we just, you know, eventually, I don't know when it was that we start decided that we wanted to write together though. Was that after we were pitching some cartoons? It might have been. You know, the fact that we can't remember uh, insinuates to me that perhaps uh, there's some sort of dark magic afoot. <laughs> <laughs> I think, actually, now that I'm thinking, we I, we were we were talking about, we were pitching some cartoons to Cartoon Network, and, mm-hmm. uh, and in fact, we were waiting to hear back from them. And then it was Aaron's idea to just write something funny in the meantime. And it was just going to be, honestly, like maybe a sketch or a scene or something. So ideally, we were like, let's do something that we can do for no money that's easy. Um, and then I was like, oh, I know. I have this like monkey's paw idea that I've been just kicking around. That'll be easy to shoot. Uh, and yeah. eventually it was just that. <laughs> so instead, we did something that was uh, uh, cheap to shoot, but not easy. No. Well, it goes to show you like the evolution of ideas and filmmaking you know i've heard stories of the initial idea being two people in a room that evolves into like a a post-apocalyptic action film right (laughs) yeah but that shows you know like the the evolution of where an idea can go which is a a cool part of making a movie is you know when you write it, it it's like a sandbox like you can create anything yeah. you want and it's it, from what, what little writing experience i have it's one of my favorite parts of the entire filmmaking process oh absolutely and i think that was something that was really essential and key to me is that i'd i'd had i'd done some collaborations before that but mostly i was writing on my own mm-hmm. um and there was something really awesome and magical about when zach and i started writing together where we just I feel like very quickly clicked in terms of our sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it felt kind of like the ideas and the progress was happening twice as fast. Um, and you were able to get immediate feedback from someone who shares your sensibilities, 
which is usually hard to come by because you spend most of your time writing if you're alone, like a solipsistic state of self-questioning where you're like, I don't know, maybe this is interesting. Whereas if you're in the room with someone that you absolutely trust, you can know immediately like, oh, that is a good joke. Or actually, no, that's terrible. Let's throw it away immediately and not not go down that road. Right. Yeah, I think, yeah, it was just the... It was the test of whether or not something was fun or funny was just, are we making each other laugh? Like, can we just take this bit as far as it can go, you know? And that, that was the best part. We were just, at the end of the day, we were just trying to make each other laugh. And then what, what worked made its way into the script. So once you guys wrote the script, you know, walk me through the process of how you, you got, we got a monkey's paw made. Well, where, once you wrote the script, what were your next steps? Uh, I think we, we got a crew together pretty quickly. We have a lot of really talented, uh, friends out here. A lot of, um, a lot of people who, uh, who are from FSU either will move to, you know, LA or New York or possibly uh, Georgia. So we have a lot of, uh, talented friends to, uh, choose from. And, uh, I think it, it was only a couple weeks after that we picked a date and then started going. Yeah. I think it's important to note, um, my filmmaking methodology has always been a little bit to work backwards. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, having listened to a lot of, of, of interviews and read a lot of stuff about how something got made, often the part that gets skipped is, it sounds like it all just went like linearly from like, well, we had this idea and then we made it happen. But I think that it's really important to note um, with everything that I've been able, been fortunate enough to make in my life, it's been because from the outset of script writing, it's been planned around logistical possibility, right? Mm-hmm. So so we knew what resources we had access to, to some extent. And so we did a little bit of writing for that. Like yeah. we, did just, we didn't write the script entirely in a vacuum. It was very much like, okay, what is logistically possible? Mm-hmm. Uh, two characters uh, going to in one location. Place. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to write it for our friend's apartment, which is cool. Uh, that's a really big apartment. We think we can make it feel like a bigger space and not feel claustrophobic like every other like funny sketch in an apartment can feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we already had like it's going to star Zach and it's going to star uh, our our mutual friend Jackie Jandrell, uh, who's a very talented actress that really wanted to m- make something uh, with us. And so you kind of we started assembling the pieces early. Um, so that we could write the script and then be able to progress quickly instead of sitting on it and trying to figure out, well, now what? Mm-hmm. So we, I always intentionally write so that I can skip the, well, now what, if mm-hmm. possible. Yeah, and then the, from there, it was just a matter of, you know, dressing the set. Like, we, uh, we got wallpaper so that we weren't just shooting in, you know, some, some like, white-walled apartment. Uh, we put out just a mass ask mm-hmm. for all our friends just asking for weird like haunted looking objects and we were just collecting them from because we turns out we have a lot of weird friends um and so we've got we, we also would uh scour ebay aaron got a, a bunch of very haunted looking dolls um one of my friends had just a bunch of old things from their grandparents in their attic and i borrowed things like that and we just collected these things and we went in there and we dressed it and made it look like a, a totally different place yeah. Meanwhile, um, I also frequently collaborate with uh, the woman who ended up being our DP, Carissa Dorson, mm-hmm. who's a very talented uh, DP. She works very heavily in the comedy space, 
And so I, I pitched her on the idea early of making a short film together. Um, and so she was on board. Our friend uh, Mar McGaw was on board as a gaffer um, before we ever really had it fully nailed down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we really uh, we, we, we had those talented friends to choose from. And we had their love and support uh, on our side. Our producer, Travis Campbell, also close friend and literally was just like, if you ever want to make anything, let me know and I'll help you make it. Well, and that's, I think, a big lesson to learn if you're, if you're wanting to make a film is do what you guys did. Find out what resources you have and use them to the best of your ability. Absolutely. That, that's a huge piece of advice that I would give to anybody. Yeah. And and we were doing like crazy otherworldly things, but we were never writing outside of what we knew we could shoot. Yeah. yeah. Very limited special effects and VFX in the movie. Just the sort of the, the, the barest essentials to get the, the jokes to land in the world to sell. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the important thing that you guys nailed is what we were talking about at the very beginning it's a fun story. Like it's a fun little adventure to go on with these two characters. And that's, that's the important thing. And that, that's what drew me in is that it was just a, a fun, you know, eight minute film. And that's kind of the beauty of short films is that you get these cool stories that are self-contained in a short amount of time. And I wasn't yeah. even up until, you know, a few years ago, I wasn't really. I, I knew short films were around, but I weren't. I wasn't as into them as I am now. Mm-hmm. And now that you know, I'm pursuing that as a possible career myself. I've grown more more appreciative of what goes into it because it's making a short film is not easy. I mean, even though it's not nearly as long as like a feature, you still have a lot of work you have to do. Oh, absolutely. And I've known some people that have made the mistake of thinking that a short film is. Right, like making a ten-minute short film should be one ninth of the work of making a feature, and I find that that's not true. <laughs> right. Um, sometimes I've seen people embark on short films that are just as much, almost as much work as having made a micro-budget feature, mm-hmm. depending on how ambitious the film can be. No, for sure. Well, as um, as we start to wrap up here, I did want to ask you um, a couple more quick things about the film. It looked like sure. you know, with the content the jokes and everything, it looked like you guys had a blast making the movie. So I have to ask you this. Is there any funny, like onset story that stands out that you'd like to share? Let me see. It's, it's funny. Cause like we shot everything in a day and then pickups, we did some pickups a couple months later, uh, but we were going so fast that there wasn't like, I don't know. There wasn't like, a, we did like a bunch of crazy things. I will say the one thing that like, the final shot we got on the first day, because you know it, it's we we did all of the the crazy otherworldly, um, you know those those one off like what what could have happened wishes at the end. We right. shot those at the very end. And the last thing we did was us completely covered in blood, um, because you know we're wearing the same clothes for the whole shoot, um, and so like we're just standing there. Aaron's pouring blood all over our face, and we're deciding how much is too much blood. Uh, and the shot was supposed to be me, like, like slowly, sit, like sl- slipping down into the into the bath. But when I did that, my legs went completely out from underneath me. I hit my ass <laughs> on the tub, and everybody's <laughs> running over to me, like wondering, like, "Are you okay?" 
And of course, I look like I'm covered in blood, so there's no way to tell if I'm actually bleeding. Um, but I, I was fine. But everybody was like really unsure for a bit. Um, there was just he could have busted his head open on the tub because there was blood everywhere. <laughs> be no way to know. Um, yeah, that was a blast. And then I always, I keep forgetting to do this when people ask us similar questions. Uh, Christy St. John, an actress. Uh, that we had on set who plays. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you see the film, she's a, a, a ghost in a mirror, essentially. She's like this haunted mirror uh, bride. Mm-hmm. Um, we did, we shot for like, we got a bunch of shots of her because we essentially shot her separately and then used VFX plates sometimes to put her into a mirror. Sometimes we did it practically where the, she's in the room reflected behind the mirror, which was hard to nail. And then other times we uh, shot her as a VFX plate to put in later. Um, and for a really small bit part, uh, that's like kind of just a couple jokes in the film. She showed up and like fully committed to being this like weeping, terrifyingly bride. sad, weeping ghost bride. Yeah. Christy's a good friend of mine and she's also an incredible actress. She was making herself cry and like weep on cue for this like so quick, like a two second shot, maybe like it was, it was almost a throwaway gag. Yeah. Um, And we were like, you can just pretend to cry. I don't think they'll notice. And she's like, (laughs) no, I'm going full tears. (laughs) And that's when, you know, you found a dedicated actor. That's yeah. Yeah. Next time, we'll just need a bigger part for The Weeping Bride. Or a spinoff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, you guys have won uh, quite a few awards for the film, but the three that I want to mention, because it took place here where I live, at our inaugural Indie Fringe and Comedy Festival, you guys won Best Actress, Best Editing, and the Best of the Fest Award. How does it feel to see the success that, this film has garnered. Aaron, do you want to take that? Uh, sure. I mean, I'll start. It's been, uh, it's been great. I've been very happy. It was completely unexpected. Zach actually convinced me to even send it to festivals because I thought it was like (laughs) not, we didn't shoot it for festivals. We did it just to like kind of make something funny that we could show people and say, Oh, look, we're funny together. Um, but yes, yeah, that convinced me to send it to some festivals and immediately started getting into things and it's had a lot of success. We were very honored to have to get those Indie Fringe uh, uh, Festival Awards from down in Pensacola, our, you know, where we went to college. I grew up in Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach and I both went to college there. It's been great. The success has been really uh, a surprise, but uh, a welcome one for sure, especially as... Um, uh, not to divert too much, but I actually did a feature film that's uh, that I was submitting to festivals at the time, and so it was really fun because I was submitting my my feature film, which cost so much more money and so much more work and so many so much more blood and tears, um, and uh, you know I was getting a lot of no's, and then meanwhile Monkey's Paw, uh, we got to travel around and do the fest thing with. That has been, I think, the best part of it is just being able to travel with Aaron. Uh, we've been we've been going yeah. to yeah to like yeah like Utah. We were in um, like uh, what was it San Jose? Just, just we were all over the place. Um, and it's just great meeting all these other people too. Up in Portland, Portland Horror was amazing. 
um, it's been a great way to connect to other like filmmakers, especially horror filmmakers, uh, who just again, like we were talking about, have the same sensibilities. Um, yeah, it's it's just been very cool. I think it, it's it's it's. I I mean, like Aaron said, I knew I thought people I had a hunch people would you know dig it, but I didn't expect to be getting you know awards for it, especially for something that's so goofy and silly. It's cool to be getting them at comedy festivals, but also at horror festivals as as well. It's 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 awesome. No, that's absolutely fantastic. So do either of you guys have any other projects that you have in the works that you'd like to talk about? Sure. Yeah. I mean, since I kind of already mentioned it, uh, I do have a feature film uh, that I did. It's a vampire movie. It's a lot more serious. Absolutely mm-hmm. nothing like Monkey's Paw. But it does also star uh, the lead actress, Jacqueline Jandrell. Um, but in a vampire movie, uh, that movie is called Sunset on the River Styx. Uh, it's actually premiering at Cinequest in San Jose, San Francisco, uh, in March. So I'm excited about that. That's starting its festival run as Monkey's Paws ending it. And then Zach and I have been writing a bunch of projects together. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, I have to say uh, Sunset on the River Styx is fantastic. It's like just so moody and bizarre and weird and and just it's vampires in a way that you haven't probably seen them. It's fantastic. And if it comes to comes near you, you have to check it out. Um, I'll show you. Thanks. <laughs> but yeah, Aaron and I are working on a couple projects. We have um, a feature that we're kind of in the early works of writing and something more along the lines of monkey's paw. Um, I am currently in pre-production for another uh, horror comedy short, which is, um, pro- definitely darker than Monkey's Paw, but still kind of silly. Um, it's a it's a queer body horror comedy about body dysmorphia, which is something I think a lot of us deal with but don't necessarily talk about. Um, and then yeah, and then I have a podcast that I I do. Um, uh, it's a it's a, a you know queer podcast. It's me and a, another friend Haley Menrique, and we uh, we break down queer subjects from a gay and lesbian perspective. Uh, and we generally have a straight of the week with us who knows nothing about what we're talking about. Uh, and they get one question that we answer judgment free at the end of the episode. Um, but as the series goes on, we do feature other uh, like queer guests, people uh, who can talk about things that we not might not be able to be uh, you know experts on. We have bi guests, pan guests, we have uh, porn stars, uh, sex experts, kinksters, all sorts of people. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Aaron also uh, guest started guest starred on an episode a while back. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was great. You should check it out. What's it called? It's oh, right. I should I should probably plug that, shouldn't I? Um, <laughs> it's called we're not. It's called we're not together with Zach and Haley. Uh, it's called that because uh, you know we're both very good friends, and I'm gay. She's a lesbian. Uh, we we're not together. We don't want people keep asking us like, or to, they, people keep telling us you know at a restaurant like, oh, such a cute couple, or nope, we're not. <laughs> we're can't farthest from a couple as we could be. No, that's awesome. And I, another thing I mentioned earlier before we started, I, I love when I hear you know, filmmakers also doing podcasts because it's a really great outlet to have that you may not have in any other platform. So no, kudos to you for, for doing that. I'll definitely check your show out. I wrote the, the name down, so I'll, uh, I'll check out an episode this week. Yeah, great. Yeah, please. I love to know. You that's us. Um, yeah, yeah, you should give it a listen. It's you guys do a really good show, and I mean, especially for you, Derek. There are they do. You guys have done episodes about uh, about films, about not just like queer films, but 
types of films and its relationship to the queer culture throughout history and stuff. And I, I think that stuff's really interesting for any filmmakers, especially from the perspective of you and Haley, who are both in the industry. In the industry, right. Yeah, it, it's cool. It's cool how many people are doing it. Um, people make jokes about how it's like, you know, oh, everybody's got a podcast. But like, I, I don't know. I think it's great that people have these outlets. And um, it, it's cool because, you know, it's almost like ra- like classic radio plays are coming back in a very big way. <laughs> well, no, it's true because you find like serial and other, you know, drama type podcasts where it's like the classic radio shows that you'd hear, you know, before television. It, it, mm-hmm. It's something that like... If I had, if there were more hours in the day, it might be something that I'd try at some point, but I'll... Oh, man, it's a whole other beast. Yeah. It's great, though. I think, like, the the rise of podcasts have also, like, that's a huge reason why people are so into docuseries right now, you know? Like, things mm-hmm. like Serial mm-hmm. and stuff. It's it's all leads to each other. It's very cool. Well, and it's such a a casual format, you know, like, you and I, like, myself and you two guys, we're having more of a conversation than, like, a formal you know, like interview you'd hear on national television. And I think that's mm. the relatability of podcasts. And it's, it's great to yeah. plug your earbuds in. You can listen to them while you do laundry, while you cook dinner, you do anything around the house and you can stop and listen at your own leisure. Oh yeah. It's, it's fantastic. So what's one piece of advice that each of you could give to an aspiring filmmaker? It's a very good question. Um, let me think. I think the biggest piece of advice is to just, I feel like I hear this all the time, but just like make stuff, write something down, you know, whatever it is, just start making something. Even if it's like, I don't know, like a, a one act play, just making anything, giving yourself that outlet is, is, is everything. Cause you never know what's going to be the thing that somebody goes, Hey, that's great. Can you make more of it for money for me? You know, you never know. Um, but you also can't be so, you know, harden yourself when that doesn't happen immediately. Cause it's not going to just because you have a film in a festival and it gets a lot of awards or whatever. doesn't mean like, Oh, now people are going to be banging down your door to make a movie. No, now you use that to make the next thing, hopefully, and then make the next thing. And then, you know, eventually maybe that does happen, but you got to keep going. You got to do it because you like doing it. Yeah, that, that's, that's very true. And I think that, um, in film school, I didn't appreciate it fully at the time, but one of the most important lessons I learned, I think, was the idea of scope. And for something yeah. to be in scope, it means something that is achievable. And I think that every filmmaker, especially every independent filmmaker or especially starting filmmakers, uh, like we sort of talked about earlier, should recognize what is in their scope. And you should absolutely make things and you should always be ambitious and you should shoot for the stars, but you should also understand um, what's within your capability, right? Like a a poorly executed sci-fi that relies on a lot of big things or a lot of locations or a lot of explosions uh, is extremely hard to do when you're paying for it yourself. Mm-hmm. But if you put those exact same resources into what you have, like does your uncle have a cool house? Do you have a friend with a trained dog? Do you just have an interesting like friend who's just fun to watch on camera? You know, just think about what you have access to and try and make what is the most interesting version of using that to tell a story. And then, you know, you'll you'll get to the sci-fi uh, warship explosions later. 
but you could impress people now with your use of small things to do something interesting as opposed to your failure to achieve uh, the scope of something huge. Aaron, I thought we weren't going to talk about our trained dog, cool uncle house film. Oh, yeah. If anyone's a trained dog or a cool uncle, give me a call. <laughs> okay. I just thought that was under wraps at the moment. No, I think we need to go public. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> trained dog movies coming out soon, everybody. Look for yeah, it. Yeah, the thing's bigger than both of us. <laughs> oh, love it. I love it. So last thing, do you guys have any websites or social media you guys would like to plug so the listeners can follow you? Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, obviously listen to the podcast. It's super fun. And even if you're, you know, even if you're a straight person for whatever reason that you decided to do that, um, uh, it, no, it's, I think the idea is that anybody can listen to it and and feel like they learned something, but that's called we're not together with Zach and Haley. Uh, I'm also on Instagram and Twitter, uh, Zach Ogre, Z A C K O G R E. Um, yeah, you can follow me there. Great. And you can follow me on a variety of social medias at Pagnarok33, like the end of the world, but with a P. <laughs> um, uh, you don't have to do that, though. Uh, but you can follow our short We Got a Monkey's Paw on Facebook, facebook.com slash We Got a Monkey's Paw or at We Got a Monkey's Paw. And then similarly, you can find my vampire movie uh, on Facebook. Uh, that movie is called Sunset on the River Styx. That's at River Styx movie. Styx is S-T-Y-X. Or uh, also on Instagram and Twitter at River Styx movie. R-I-V-E-R-S-T-Y-X-M-O-V-I-E. Fantastic. And I did want to say real quick, uh, We Got a Monkey's Paw was also selected for the Pensacon Short Film Festival. So if you're going to be yeah. at Pensacon, yeah. go check it out. It's fantastic. Um, I've heard such amazing things about Pensacon, so y'all should check it out if you're in town. It, it is. It's something that, you know, I've I've been going to Pensacon since its inception six years ago, and it's grown to really where the whole town is involved. Like, restaurants downtown will have different themes. Like, you'll have, you know, we have a seafood restaurant that brands themselves as Harry Potter every year <laughs> That's for Pensacon. That's so fun. We'll have a, a brewery called Perfect Plane that essentially transforms into Middle Earth uh, during Pensacon huh. weekend. So it, it's it's really cool. But uh, if if you're going to be at Pensacon, definitely go to the Short Film Festival and check out We Got a Monkey's Paw. And guys, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. It was fantastic. Yeah, thanks for uh, having us on. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it's been great. Uh, keep in touch. Thanks again to Aaron Pignano and Zach Ogle for taking the time to come on the show to talk about We Got a Monkey's Paw. Can't wait to see it at the Pensacon Short Film Festival in just a couple of weeks. And in case you haven't heard, Pensacon is February 28th through March 1st, held at the Pensacola Bay Center in downtown Pensacola, as well as several of the other surrounding venues in the area. Uh, it's a really fun convention. I've had the pleasure of attending Pensacon every year since its inception back in 2014. This year is going to be no different. And speaking of Pensacon, for next week's show is all Power Rangers centric. My friends Bill Lyons and Thomas Rochester join the show to have a really fun discussion on the Power Rangers series. And then you'll get to hear my conversation with the second Pink Power Ranger, Miss Catherine Sutherland, who will also be a Pensacon guest. So if you enjoy Power Rangers, 
you're going to really enjoy next week's episode. But until then, you can check out past episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. If you want to follow me on social media, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. And as always, thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. You can find their latest EP, More Than a Myth, as well as several other of their albums on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. And I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you once again to Aaron and Zach. Thank you for those who tuned into Facebook Live this week. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday. <laughs>